0: I'm grateful to have our friends here from Noah's Landing, Forrest. Thank you for making sure our friends get here each week. Now, some of you remember Jasmine. You remember Jasmine? You used to live at Noah's Landing? She moved away. She moved to Davie, Florida, but I've been in touch with her and corresponding through Facebook Messenger. She's doing well, but she misses you guys, and she said to tell you hello, and she hopes to come back for a visit. We have people that have moved a lot, you know, through these last couple of years, but we love keeping up with them and knowing they're doing well. Now, this is a season where there's a lot of baseball. I don't know if you watch baseball, but for those of you who do, it doesn't take long to figure out that pitching is crucial to winning any game. In fact, baseball teams uh, want pitchers, who have an arsenal of various pitches. They don't want just one good pitch. They want a variety of great pitches. And that keeps the batter guessing as to what is coming next. Any pitcher worth their salt has a wicked curveball. Now here's the way the curveball works. It looks like when the pitcher releases the ball that it's coming right where you want it to be, right there. Here comes a home run. You can see it. And then at the last second, it dips out of the way, leaving you swinging at nothing. And you look foolish when it happens, but that's a good curveball. Sometimes life is that way. We swing away at nothing. We thought we know what things were going to turn out, what it was going to be, and then comes that unexpected turn. And we all face them. Times when our finances, our health, the relationships, the world around us heads in a direction that none of us expected. When I mean, we thought we know where things were going, then everything shifted. Times of stress and crisis, things don't turn out as we want them to. Now, we are not the first to face unexpected turns in life. They've been around from time immemorial. And we know that because you can pick up ancient literature and look at it, and Daniel's one of those places. We see Daniel and his friends facing unexpected turn after unexpected turn. So, as we look this morning at Daniel 2, I want you to remember there are three things that you can count on in life. Okay? Three takeaways for today. Here's the first thing there will always be things I can't control. For all of us, doesn't matter who you are, there will always be things you can't control. Doesn't matter what you think you have control over. You know, when you begin reading the book of Daniel, it's clear that King Nebuchadnezzar believes he is in control. His army crushes the Jewish nation. He plunders their cities. But even if you look back before that, we know from history that he was once the prince of Babylon. His father was the king of Babylon. And he sent his son out, Nebuchadnezzar, to conquer. He personally led the army to defeat the Egyptians the Syrians, and the Phoenicians. Three major countries, empires at that time, and three major victories. I mean, this guy's on top of the world. Everything he touches, he wins. Then he turns his attention to a minor kingdom, the kingdom of Med. He says to them before he attacks, here's the deal, guys. I can either bring my army against you or... You can give me the king's beautiful daughter to marry. The, responsible, the response of the Medes is, we'll plan the rehearsal dinner. I mean, they give in right away. They are not going to go up against this guy. So Nebuchadnezzar marries her, returns home, and he is made the new king of Babylon. And if you think about it, he is on top of the world, but then he starts his building campaign. He builds one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, these incredible palaces. They're the first to use asphalt. Everything he touches is golden. He is on top of the world. In 600 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in that part of the world, is at the top of his game. Incredible wealth, incredible power, but he's not exempt from worry. So if you look at Daniel 2, we begin to understand what's going on. Verse 1, it says, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Dreams are normal. They're part of processing life. But his mind is troubled and he could not sleep. That's a different problem. So the most powerful man in the world at that time has insomnia. And in those days... The Babylonians believed that dreams are the ways that God communicated to people, that their gods communicated to them. Special, important messages. Nebuchadnezzar is having dream after dream after dream, so he wakes up one morning, calls his advisors, and he says this, and listen carefully because this nuance is really important. Tell me what my dreams mean. But first, tell me what my dream was. Some of you may be thinking, I have a tough job, but I can take a stab at telling you what the dream means. But come on, to tell you what it was? The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will cut you into pieces. And your houses will be turned into piles of rubble. And now it's getting serious. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive gifts from me, rewards, great honor. So tell me the dream. I mean, these are people that have flocked to be around the king. You know, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the magicians, they're all there. And they love being in the king's court until he does this. You tell me what my dream was and then interpret it or you're done. So the wise man, of course, trying to defend themselves, trying to get out of this, start telling, oh, king, there is no way we can do that. Nobody can do that. I don't know. Maybe it's a work incentive program to make them perform, but apparently it doesn't work very well because we read in verse 13, so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. They were all killed for doing something they could not do. And then men were sent to look for Daniel. They went to look for Daniel and his, his friends, which I hope you remember who they are, but we'll talk about in a moment, to put them to death. I don't know, maybe Daniel feels like this is a good news, bad news story because last week in chapter 1, Daniel is being promoted by the king. This week he learns there's going to be some cutbacks. Now remember what I said to you there are always things you cannot control. Your future, your health, the attitude of your kids, your boss, your friends, the opinions of others, your emotions. But even though there are things you can't control, you do have control over your response. Now, There may be caveats to that, exceptions, but generally speaking, you choose your response or... You don't choose, and it just goes, you know, off the rails. Daniel actually does this. In doing so, he shows something that's important to do. And Scripture's very pointed about this. He is respectful in his response. Listen to how Daniel speaks to the man, the man who's sent to kill him. The man's name we know is Arioch. Daniel spoke to Arioch with wisdom and tact. You know, sometimes the details matter. We're hearing something. Though I'm not sure how you speak with wisdom and tact to the executioner. That's a really nice sharp edge you have on that axe there. I don't know. You know, it's got to be hard at this point. But he asked the king's officer a really important question. Could you explain to me why the king issued such a harsh decree? And in fact, the guy does tell him. He explains to Daniel... What's going on? Now remember, we're preaching from the book of Daniel because it has some very wise advice. And one of the things that I hope you'll take away with is because I know it's going to happen somebody's going to push your buttons, somebody's going to draw you into that political discussion, somebody's not going to treat you fairly. How are you going to respond? Is it just going to be that gut reaction, that emotion? Or will you watch what Daniel is doing and speak with wisdom and tact? Anger is a huge problem right now. We kind of know that's going to be the default for a lot of people. And when Christians react with anger, it damages their witness. And this is not to say you should never be angry. That's not what I'm saying. But tactfully, when you're responding, and this is part of what I was talking about with the bishop, there were people who were shooting at him with verbal bullets. They were throwing barbs at him. They were trying to provoke him to anger. And I could watch that. I know there was seething inside of him at times. There was hurt. But you'd see him take that deep breath and respond with that wisdom tactfully. Solomon says, a a soft answer will turn away wrath. Jesus tells us, to be as wise as serpents, but as gentle as doves. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? The Apostle Peter says, Always be prepared to share your faith with anyone who asks you, but do so with gentleness and respect. You know what I hope? I hope that you're known for that. I hope that our church is known for that. So when I read this portion of Daniel, I'm reminded, don't panic. I love that statement that came out of the Second World War, you know, as a response, don't panic. And I have it in different versions on t-shirts in my mind, in my house, don't panic, be calm. Don't panic. Be patient. Be polite. Or we would say respectful. Respectful. Listen to what Daniel does when he learns he is to be killed. And I would say at any point, this is the point where you will probably react the strongest. At this, Daniel went into the king and he asked for some time. I have some time to talk to you, king. Because I'd like to interpret the dream for you. And then we're reminded that we have a gift. We have this easy, anytime, place, any circumstance, access to the creator. We call it prayer. God needs talk. And that's exactly what Daniel does. He returns to his house, and he explained this matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, you know them from the book of Daniel as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are their Babylonian names. But their Hebrew names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urges his friends to plead for mercy, not from the king, not from the executioner, Because remember, they're slated to be executed as well. But rather to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed. If you compare Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar, you'll find two very different reactions to a tough situation. Daniel can't control the king and Nebuchadnezzar can't control his dreams. So Daniel's response is, To surrender control by getting down on his knees and seeking God's help. That's what he does. He talks to God. The king tries to exert more control. You don't do this, I'm going to kill you. And if you do it, I'll reward you. What do you tend to do, though? Because that's really what this is about. Daniel's a lesson. Nebuchadnezzar's a lesson. But the point is, how about you? What do you tend to do when you're in a circumstance you can't control when life is taking that unexpected turn? Are you more like Daniel? Or are you more like the king? Is it worry? Is it manipulation? Is it anger that comes out of you? Daniel does something very different. He surrenders to God. And that's the turning point, the pivot point in the story. Because... If you're looking for a way to live differently, then you have to pay attention. You may say, God have mercy. Which is what we need to say in those unexpected turns of life. Because none of us has the ability to control everything. But we do have the ability to control our response. Daniel's response was to turn to God, and that's important Because we are reminded, as Scripture says again and again, there is one, there will always be one who is in control. Daniel says this in his prayer. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. God changes times and seasons. He deposes kings, raises up others. God gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to the discerning. God reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness. Light dwells with him. If you were to cut down to the chase, here's what Daniel's saying. God, you are God, and I'm not. And Nebuchadnezzar is certainly not God. And this theme will come up again and again and again in Daniel. So that night, the night that Daniel was given an opportunity, kind of a stay of an execution, to figure out the dream, which he does not know. Daniel goes to sleep. The king is tossing and turning in his chambers. Daniel is sleeping. Daniel is facing death. The king has the power over his death. And look who's sleeping and who isn't. Daniel goes to sleep, and the very next day he comes before the king, and he says this, O king, nobody can do what you ask. The king, in essence, says, Then why are you here? Why are you wasting my time? I've heard this before. And he is furious and he's intent on killing Daniel and the others. But then Daniel adds, No one can tell you what is in your head, O king, but God can. So Daniel says, So here it is. You've dreamed of a giant statue. Statue glistening in the sun. It's huge. It's majestic. It's made of different materials from the top to the bottom. It has a gold head, silver arms and a chest, a brass belly, iron legs, feet of clay mixed with iron. What does that mean, says the king, because that's exactly what I dreamed. Well, king, I know you're puzzling over this, but remember that along comes a little rock and it smashes into the feet And the statue topples over. Then the rock begins to grow. It becomes as big as a statue, then as big as Babylon, as big as a continent. Then, king, it's as big as the entire world. That's right, says the king. How did you know that? And Daniel says, and here's what it means. The statue represents people, humanity. Human authority and rule. King, it's a timeline. You see, the head of gold represents you. O king, it represents Babylon. All the other materials represent kingdoms that will follow in history. The point is this, that one human empire after another comes along, but none of them last because of the rock. And what is the rock, king? You say. When Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Israel and destroyed Jerusalem, they believed that they would be part of a forever kingdom, a kingdom that would never go away. God had made a covenant with Abraham. He had promised to be their Lord forever, that there would be this kingdom. And they thought they had it, they were the best. And then their kingdom was destroyed but it never was about them. It was about a relationship with the Creator. And here, Daniel is pointing to the kingdom of God. The very thing that Jesus talked about so strongly. The kingdom which will never be destroyed. Daniel 2, verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. This kingdom will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end but itself will endure forever. Daniel is facing those unexpected turns in life, but he remains patient, respectful. He trusted God. He knew there were things he couldn't control, but he chose well in those things he could control. Most of all, he never stopped trusting in the one who is in control because Daniel knew that remaining faithful to God is most important it's crucial do you know what daniel's name means it's not surprising that he would do this because his name his hebrew name means god is my judge he saw himself always in the eyes of the creator he wanted to live right so listen to what happened when daniel revealed the king's dream and the meaning of the dream then the king placed Daniel in a high position. He lavished many gifts on him. They made him rule over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. It's an incredible story, but there are more to come because the book of Daniel is full of dealing with those unexpected turns in life. So today, I want you to think about something. You can try to control your swing. Somebody's going to get you with a curveball one day. Or maybe you can let go of that control and say yes to God's love. Live that life integrity where there's no compromise in your faith, but it all begins with a relationship. A relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, who came that we might have life and have it abundantly. You see, you and I can't control everything in our life. But there is a decision to be made. A decision to say yes to the love of God. Let me pray for you. Help us, Lord, to quit trying to make life go as we think it's best. And to trust you for every aspect of life. And to say yes to your love. So that not only will we receive and know that love, but we can be a reflection of that love. We work so hard sometimes in trying to control. When the invitation is, let go. Let me love you. And would you love others, even as you love yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's going to happen. There are going to be those unexpected turns, things you don't want to have happen. You can't be in control of everything, except you get to choose how you'll react. And I pray that you remember that you're not alone. There is one who's in control, who's always with you. I remember vividly, and some of you were with us on a trip to Israel back in 2020, right before COVID hit us. There was a day it was raining and flooding and we were missing some of the sites because it was just too dangerous to be there. And there was an unexpected turn. The guide said, can I take you to a special place? Sure. You know, I mean, how can we get any wetter and muddier and more miserable? He took us to a place called the Valley of the Doves. That sounded intriguing. And it was a valley. There were caves that mystics had lived in for years. There was an Arab village on one side over there, just beautiful on the hillside. And it was muddy and wet and slippery, but we climbed up and up and up. And then I turned, and there was this beautiful rainbow, brilliant, right over that Arab village. And I thought, this is what we came for. I would have never have seen that in that place, in that setting... If I hadn't taken the chance. Sometimes unexpected turns bring unexpected beauty and healing. But whether it's a dark place or a light place, remember what Daniel said. Light is with you. God is with you. You are never alone. So go now with hope and peace and love. Amen.